Well, Happy New Year, everybody. Welcome to 2017. Inside your bulletin is this white index card. I need you to pull that out. And if you need something to write with, everybody's going to need a writing utensil. We're old school today. Uh, you're welcome to pull out your apps and all that stuff, but you're actually going to need a physical pen or pencil and a physical index card. Wow, we're all the way back in the 80s, I think, today or something. So make sure you got something to write with and an index card. And if you didn't get a bulletin with an index card, there are plenty in the back. Ushers, maybe you can stroll down the aisles with bulletins too and stick your hand up. Um, if you've only got one bulletin for a husband and wife or a family unit, I think you can do the exercise all on one as well so the kiddos can participate. Kids, we're glad you're worshiping with us to begin the year, and you're going to participate in this exercise as well. Well, 2016, do you know that Webster's Dictionary, every November, December, they decide, they pick a word that represents the year that we just lived Anybody paid attention this week to what word they used to describe 2016? So this is the official Webster's Dictionary declaration of trying to put context to what we all experienced in 2016 in one word. They picked surreal. And then the definition of surreal that they drew attention to is surreal means marked with intense irrationality. Anybody just enjoy the thought of just bringing to a close 2016, maybe for a multiplicity of ways. You've come in and you look forward to just closing out one year and opening up a new year together. Here's what I'd like you to do with this index card, okay? On the front of this index card, I would like you to write the title of your 2016. Because I, like I want you to think this morning about our life as a book, all right? A life as a book, every year is a chapter. Some of you in this room, your, your book is quite thin, right? Kids, you're barely, you know, some of you in the room, not even up to chapter 10 yet in life, right? Now, there's some others of you in the room, we could thicken it up a bit, right? You've got into the 30s and 40-somethings chapter if your life is a book and every year is a chapter, and then... Well, I had to bring, you know, there are some others in the room. Let's just say your book is quite thick. You with me? You've lived a lot of life. You've seen a lot of these years come and go. You've got a lot of chapters under your belt. No nudging the person next to you or pointing fingers at this point. But here's what I'd like you to do. If, if your life is a book and every year is a chapter, how would you entitle your 2016. I want you to jot that down on the index card some point between now and the end of the message, over the next 20, 25 minutes, and then we're going to do something with that as we head to the communion table. I'd like for us together to reflect on the life of the Apostle Peter, and we're going to look at some chapter titles of Peter's life, because he had different titles, different experiences. And then at the end of the message, we're going to reflect a bit on our own lives and how some of the chapter titles of Peter's life bridge into our own lives. So if you haven't already done so, pull out your note sheet and you can fire up your app and collect uh, the notes there as well. So we're going to look at Peter. We're going to start in his entry into the story, Matthew chapter 3. And here's the first chapter 
title I gave Peter, I called the first chapter for him, Change, Change. Matthew 3, verse 18 and following, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once, you may want to underline in your Bibles, they left their nets and followed him. You see, this is when everything began to change in Peter's life. It didn't just change some things. The fishermen who had a hold on his nets, because that's what fishermen would be working with in their daily routine, so the nets would represent what they're comfortable with, what's known, what's about to become his old life and his old ways are his nets. And I want you to see in Peter now, in order for him to respond to Jesus' call, what did he have to do with his nets? He had to leave them. He had to release the grip. He had to let some things go. For some of you, that's a commentary on your 2016, perhaps. Perhaps change across the board for you is just a theme of your 2016. Could have been family change, could have been job change, financial change, health change, ministry change. Change, 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 change. You're a lot like Peter in Matthew 3, where everything begins to be shifted around in this young fisherman's life. For this young fisherman today has his name on cathedrals in 190 nations. The fisherman Peter becomes Saint Peter. I often wonder that in Rome when you stand in awe at Saint Peter's Basilica. If anyone taps the person next to him, say, he, he was just a fisherman. Lots change. When you get linked up with Jesus, you know this about Jesus, you can't stay neutral with Jesus very long. If you try to stay neutral with Jesus, it doesn't go great. Jesus is going to bring some change. You're going to be all in or all out the longer you hang with Jesus. Some stuff's going to begin to shift around as Peter is finding out here. So perhaps you may have change in your title for 2016. And then things do begin to shift around for Peter. Next chapter of his life, we pick up in Mark chapter 6. He begins to follow Jesus. He begins to imitate what Jesus has him imitate, teach the things Jesus has him teach, do the things Jesus has him do. That's what a disciple is. You are walking with Jesus, doing life with him, and that's what Peter's doing along with the other apostles. Mark 6, verse 30, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. I entitled this chapter for Peter's life, Marginless. Some of you look back on your 2016 and you feel a lot like Peter did right there in Mark 6, where he barely could find time to eat. Where you can get so many things going on, you're going so fast, so hard, so focused, that the very necessities of life are kind of pushed to the margin. Here's how you know you're living marginless. When anything out of the ordinary occurs, it's kind of level nine crisis mode. Because you don't have any space in your life to absorb something that's kind of outside the norm. And when you go too hard, too fast, too long that way, and you live marginless... You know what begins to break down in our lives? Lots of things, but especially our bodies. Our bodies start breaking down. Do you know our body is a gift from God, and sometimes He'll use our body to get to our heart and our soul. 
And for some of you, maybe that's what happened to you in 2016. Maybe a pattern of marginless living led to some things with your physical health, and it was kind of one of those reorientation moments where you're like Peter standing with Jesus, because I want you to notice with Jesus here, he encourages the folks to come and take a rest, to pause, Sabbath. He's inviting them into a rhythm of Sabbath in the midst of the chaos of the work. I don't know about you, but I find it much easier to take a rest, to stop, when the circumstances of my life are encouraging me to stop. But Jesus, his view of rest is, you stop when God says it's time to stop, not when the circumstances of your life afford you to stop. There are plenty of people to heal. There's all kinds of people to teach. There are demons to drive out. There's the kingdom to build. There are nations to reach. That's the agenda the apostles have before them. And there's a lot going on. Jesus was a busy guy. The apostles were very busy young followers. And in the midst of all that busyness and all that chaos, Jesus says, hey, it's time to take a break. Come and rest to some quiet space. It's Jesus modeling what he knew the Father had set up, right? In Genesis chapter 1, six days, work, produce, accomplish, create. One day, pause, Shabbat, cease, rest, replenish, renew, refresh. And as I put in your notes here, I put a quote, Peter Scazzaro, he's a pastor out in Queens, New York. He wrote this way, we go through the motions of doing so many things as if there is no alternative way of spending our days. It is like being addicted. Only it's not to drugs or alcohol, but to task, to work, and to doing. You know you're caught up in a marginless cycle when you feel guilty when you're not busy. That's the dashboard indicator for me. When if I'm not constantly doing something, I'm struggling with guilt because I feel like I should be doing something, that's a little light on the dashboard that says, hey, maybe some marginless living going on, maybe a violation of six-in-one rhythm. I remember a couple years ago, I was flying somewhere and I was journaling on the plane about God's invitation to stillness. And I paused in the midst of that. And I thought, how ironic is it that I'm having a journal entry conversation with God about stillness at 30,000 feet flying 600 miles an hour? That during that season of my life, that was the closest window I could find to stillness and quietness was 30,000 feet up, 600 miles an hour. It's probably not what Jesus had in mind. In the midst of all there is to do, he says, hey, Peter and the gang, come to a quiet place and get some rest. So I entitled that chapter for Peter, Marginless. He gets change, a lot going on, and then there's this marginless section of his life. And then third chapter now, Luke 22, we're going to pick it up for his third chapter. So as Peter continues to follow, continues to walk, eventually Jesus instructs them, right, that, hey, he's going to... He's going to have a difficult ending. They're going to arrest me. They're going to beat me. They're eventually going to crucify me. It's going to be really, really hard for you. Peter and the rest of the group couldn't ever quite internalize that. And so when the day came for the arrest and then the eventual flogging and eventual crucifixion, there's a lot of tension in the group. And here's Peter on that day in the courtyard witnessing Jesus' arrest. Luke 22, verse 56, a servant girl saw Peter seated there in the firelight, kind of warming his hands over the fire. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. Man, I am not. 
Peter replied. Verse 59, about an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him for he is a Galilean. So Galileans had a strong accent, kind of gave them away. So Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. Verse 61, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. What does that tell you about the distance there, right? He's in the proximity of Jesus where all this kind of arrest and flogging is all taking place, but he's, he's just far enough away that this other conversation's going on. And the moment the rooster crows... You had those moments with the Lord where you felt like Jesus wasn't just looking at you, he was looking through you. Do you have a mom or a dad or a grandparent that was that way, that you know the moment they made that certain eye contact with you? Maybe it's the supervisor at work where they don't have to say one thing, but they have that look towards you. That was kind of that look with Jesus. He was looking not just at Peter, he was looking through Peter. Because what did he say prior to this? Jesus and Peter had a dialogue prior to this, in, right? What did Jesus tell Peter was going to happen before the rooster crowed? He says, hey, Peter, you're going to have a difficult day. You're going to deny me, not just once, not just twice, but three times before the morning rooster crows. And what was Peter's response to that? I never will. Anybody stood on the top of Never Will Hill? Lord, I never will turn back to that. Lord, I never will go down that road again. Lord, I never will. That's where Peter was at. And then less than 24 hours later, he's face planted at the bottom of Never Will Hill, doing the very thing he vowed he'd never do. Then Peter remembered, verse 61, the word the Lord had spoken to him before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. I entitled this chapter of Peter's life, Regret. Regret. Where you have those moments in your life where you're face down at the bottom of the hill you vowed you'd never be at. And maybe you look back over the landscape of your 2016, and if you could have a do-over in some sections, you would love to have that. You're with Peter. You went down a road, you just didn't ever envision you'd be going down, and we're human. We're not going to get it right all the time. We're going to make mistakes. Kids, students, one of the things to realize when you're walking with Jesus is you're not going to be perfect the whole time. You're going to make mistakes. The question isn't if you're going to. The question is when you make those mistakes, what are you going to do with your failure, with your sin, with your disappointment? You're going to disappoint yourself, you're going to disappoint others, and you're going to disappoint God. Just come to grips with that early on in the walk, and the relationship's going to go a lot better because you're going to learn that God, through his grace, is the kind of God you can come to with your failures. Because I want you to think about another guy in that inner circle of 12 who also failed, who also fell at the bottom of Never Will Hill, who also betrayed. His name is what? Judas. So you've got Judas and you've got Peter. Both of them failed. Both of them, ah, remember Judas, he wanted to go back. He's like, ah, I want to, can I like give the money back? And we just don't want a do-over of this whole scene. But Judas tried to take his sin, tried to take his failure, his disappointment, tried to handle it himself. And Judas ended up hanging from a tree, one of the four suicides in the Bible. He ended his life. See, Judas is a picture of when you don't handle your sin and your failure the right way, you handle it destructively. It's the way of Judas. 
And then Peter is a picture. We're just going to, in just a moment, you're going to see Peter runs back to Jesus. And Peter's a picture of taking our failures and letting them be redemptive. So the way of Judas is destructive. The way of Peter is redemptive. You following that? So the question isn't whether we're going to fail. The question is when we fail, what are we going to do with it? If you think you're smart enough and strong enough to handle it yourself, you're, the pull is you're going to want to go the way of Judas then. Dangerous ground. Versus let's go the way of Peter. That when we fall on our face and we get in a pattern we never imagined being, we know we've disappointed God and others, we're going to go the way of redemption. Notice there's no St. Judas Cathedral in the world. I haven't done a hospital visit yet with a family who said, oh, pastor, come and meet my wonderful new son who's, we've named him after a good biblical character with great values and morals, Judas. Not very often. <laughs> but piles and piles of Peters and St. Peters in the world. So regret, perhaps. Perhaps you go through a year and maybe you've got regret somewhere in your title of 2016. But aren't you grateful that Jesus is the kind of Savior who doesn't let regret, guilt, shame get the last word? He gets the last word in this. And John 21 is where he gets that word with Peter. So John 21, the scene is this. Peter goes back fishing. Why did Peter go back fishing? Because he was what? He was a fisherman. And he thought he was just cut from the team. It's like, I, I'm out. Jesus' team, I'm off. So Peter goes back, just grabs the rod. And I'm going to go back and do what I've been doing. Remember what I said at the beginning? What, is the, what do the nets represent? Peter goes back to pick up the nets, which represent kind of old life, old ways, old self. He goes back to the known and the comfortable. Have you noticed this pull in your own life as you begin to break free and walk with Jesus? Sometimes there's this pull to return to the very ground that you used to release. And this is Peter's journey here. He went back and he started to pick up some of those old ways, kind of giving up on himself and all the above. And now he's fishing early in the morning. John 21 verse 4, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered, he said. Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Don't you love it with Jesus? Here he is coaching probably the most experienced fisherman in all of the Galilean area. That's what I love about Jesus. He's just not right about some things. He's right about everything. Jesus is the best fisherman ever. Their nets are going to get so full they can't even handle them in the boat. Here's what you can trust Jesus with, everything. He's a wise and competent and supreme guide for our lives. And he's given Peter a little lesson here. Because I'm sure in the back of Peter's mind, he's like, look, we've been out here fishing. There's nothing on that other side of the boat. Cast him on the right side of the boat. Remember, G uh, Peter hasn't recognized that it's Jesus yet. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. I entitled this chapter, Breakthrough. Don't you love this image of Jesus? That Peter, 
He's gone back to his kind of old ways, old life, old self. He feels like he's been cut from the team, fallen in a pile of failure, guilt, shame, regret at the bottom of Never Will Hill. And who comes looking for him? Jesus comes looking for him. Anybody else found Jesus there? Anybody else been in a place where you're 180 degrees from where you know God wants you to be? And who came looking for you? Jesus came looking for you. And he comes looking for you and he calls out to you and he says, hey, cast your nets over here. And you got such a large pool of fish in your nets and you met the resurrection power of Christ. And he said, I'm not done with you yet. That's this moment. And if you walk with Jesus long enough, you'll have these moments where you're, you may have given up on yourself, others may have given up on you, but you know one who's never given up on you? Jesus hasn't given up on you. If you've got breath of life in your lungs, you're not done. Jesus is not done with you. And maybe 2017, that's going to be the theme for you. Breakthrough is your year. This is the year where you're going to be like Peter when he was, can you picture him swimming when he leaped out of that boat? I love that image of him just jumping in, kind of clothes and all, just swimming. Can you imagine every stroke of that swim? What do you think he's doing? He's just releasing the guilt and the shame and the regret. He's letting go of those nets all over again. And can you picture the scene when he gets to the shore and thrusts himself in Jesus' chest? Have you been there where you just kind of thrust yourself in the Savior's chest and all you can do is weep and say, I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry I disappointed you. I'm sorry I let you down. That's where Peter's at right there. And this is where Jesus gets the last word because on the heels of this, what does he do? He reinstates him on the team. He drafts him back on the team and he appoints him into a role and there's a lot of this in Peter's life up to John 21, but here's what you see after John 21. Peter's this. No more blip on Peter's screen. It didn't mean circumstances got easy. Here's what Peter just, he recognized, right? He could take his failures. He could take his discipline. He could turn to Christ. He can find grace. He can find hope. He can find new beginning. Often God brings great breakthroughs when we least expect it, in the most unexpected times, in the most unexpected places, in the most unexpected ways. That's when breakthrough often occurs with the Lord. When you get to the end of yourself, right when you get to the end of yourself, often Jesus shows up with resurrection power, looks you in the eye and say, I'm not done with you yet. You're about done with you, but I'm not done with you yet. And then resurrection power comes in that moment. That's breakthrough. And maybe for some of you, that's your 2016. Maybe you're here this morning with that as your testimony, that you had breakthrough on some front or multiple fronts of your life. Hallelujah. We rejoice with you. You know you're kind of in breakthrough season when that's on your tongue a lot. Just hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. When that's just rolling off your tongue on every corner of your life. Breakthrough, breakthrough, breakthrough. Can you imagine how grateful Peter was? Leave those nets again. And now he's with the resurrected Christ. And then we move into the fifth chapter of his life here, and he goes into the book of Acts, and he finds himself the fisherman standing before people of multiple languages and talking about what? Talking about heaven and hell and salvation and how people can find the kingdom of heaven. This fisherman is the one now leading the church of Jesus in Acts. This is that Peter. And was he welcomed everywhere he went? Of course not. He met opposition. He was arrested. He was beaten. He was persecuted. He was rejected. He was struck down. All those things. But what was different with Peter here? Just see the soaring. Do you know how Peter ended? How did he go out? You know, history tells Peter was crucified. 
They, they believe all the remaining 11 apostles were all martyred for their faith. And when they came to Peter to crucify him, he told the Roman soldiers as they're driving the spikes and, hey, I'm not worthy to die in the same manner as the Lord Jesus. Flip me upside down. And history records that Peter was most likely crucified upside down. What changed for Peter? He met Christ on John 21, and he had a breakthrough that moved him in now to this fifth chapter. There's a lot of things in Peter's life, I think, that landed in this fifth chapter. This is Acts 12. It was about this time that King Herod, now who's Herod? Oh, we have these wonderful light, light moments again, huh? So Herod is who? He's the Roman ruler, so he's kind of overseeing the grounds, right? Making sure that, keeping peace with the Jews. That's Herod's role. He arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death by the sword, meaning beheaded. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. So James is beheaded, Peter is arrested, Herod is nuts, and the church of Jesus is flourishing. You know what I put title on this chapter? I put mystery on this chapter. Mystery. How, Lord, how do you put all that together? James is beheaded. Peter is arrested. Herod seems to be in control, and he's nuts. And yet your church is flourishing. What do you do with that? Mystery. What do you do with a close colleague like John the Baptist, whose head was also beheaded? And you go, what do you do with that? Mystery. And some of you, that's a commentary on your 26. There are some experiences in this life that in our 70, 80, 90 years God may give us here, we're not going to get all the pieces of the puzzle put together here. Mystery isn't the absence of meaning, though. I think I put this in your notes. But mystery is the presence of more meaning than we can comprehend. Church, there's just some more going on in circumstances than our ability in our finite mind, in our space-time beings to understand all that's going. There's just too much there. And that's for Peter. I think he had a lot of things that left in the category of mystery. Why Judas did that? And what about John the Baptist? And how about James? And how about all this blood? I mean, what do we do with all? I thought we were just trying to serve you, Lord, and we can't seem to get out of jail. And what do we do with this? I think there's a lot of mysteries for those guys, but they just kept following. They had change. They were struggled with margin. They had regret. They experienced breakthrough. And then they had to leave quite a few things in the category of mystery. And maybe some of you in this room, you walked through some things in 2016 that you never imagined you'd have to walk through. I would say somewhere in your title probably should be the word mystery. And perhaps in this life, you won't get all the details and the answers. And you have to do what Peter and the rest of the group did. You lay it down at the Savior's feet. I put a little phrase from William Cooper. He was a British poet in England in the 1800s. And he wrote a great line in one of his poems. He said, behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Maybe 2016 was filled with frowning providence. Frowning means just the sense of those moments in your life where you just go, ah, I don't know if it can get much worse than that. And behind that frown, he hides a smiling face. 
And maybe that's the transition from one year 2016 into 2017 for you. Maybe 2017, you begin to see the breakthroughs of the shining light of the smiling face of the frowning providence of 2016. So I want you to just kind of scan back over Peter's chapter. We could go on with Peter, right? We have many more chapters for him. I just picked five out of there. Change, he got linked up with Jesus and everything started to shift around. He struggled with boundaries, so much to do, not knowing where to stop. And then he fell on his face doing the very thing he vowed he'd never do. And then he experienced breakthrough and a second chance and a new beginning. And then there's this category of mystery. So, gang, here's what we're going to do. Worship team, you guys can come back up. Um, We're going to transition to the communion table, and I want you to pull out your card again. And if you haven't already done so, please take a moment now and just jot out what title would you put on your 2016? On one side of it, and like I said, if you need to share the card with those around you, maybe your kids or your spouse by you can just take some space on there, and each of you just write a word or a phrase that for you, your 2016. And then as we go to the tables in just a minute, I'd like you to take this card and flip it over, and the other side should be blank. And I'd like us together as a community to make a vow, a covenant together, that we're going to surrender the pen. We're going to relinquish the pen. We're going to resist the temptation to pick up the pen or pencil and fill in the title for 2017, however we we think 2017 is going to go. That as a community right now, we're going to go to the tables and we're going to lay this card. As you go to the table in just a minute, I want you to take the card and I want you to lay it at the communion table somewhere. Face up or face down, it don't matter. Preferably away from the flames. But just picture the communion table just kind of filled with a couple hundred of these cards. And on one side, it represents as you look back over this past year, whatever title you gave that year. And when you lay that at the table, here's what we're saying. Lord, you're a faithful God. Because no matter what title you gave 2016, You're here in this blue chair and you're about to go to the tables and you're about to tear off the bread representing his broken body. You're going to dip it in the juice, his shed blood, and you're going to partake of communion. And in doing so, you're going to look at your 2016, you're going to lay it down and say, Lord, you've been faithful. Even if it's been really hard, you've been faithful. You've been with me. There's been companionship in the heartache and the struggle. Or you've been faithful, there's been breakthrough, there's been unbelievable moments that have taken your breath away, there's been new beginnings for you this past, whatever it is, you've been faithful. That's what you're saying with 2016 side. And then as you lay it down with the blank side also, you're saying, Lord, 2017, I surrender the pen. And I trust you. Have your way with 2017. Write the script however you want to write it. I choose trust. I choose relinquishment. I choose surrender. 
I lay it down. I think this would be kind of a cool exercise from year to year. I don't know, you know, I was thinking out as a family, wouldn't it be neat like through the years to to kind of just chronicle the chapters of life together as family units, certainly as a community, we could, we could do that. And so I'm going to pray, and then you're dismissed to go to the tables, take whatever time you need. Maybe you need to come up here and pray. Maybe you're carrying some stuff this morning that before you go to the table, you just need to lay some stuff down. Maybe it's some things you need to get cleaned up in your heart. Just confess some things and lay it down. That's fine. Maybe you're struggling with some physical healing issues. We believe God still heals today. We're the kind of body that anoints you with oil and prays for Jesus to heal you as you go to the table. So you can come and just kneel here at the front and one of us as pastors or elders will anoint you with oil and pray. Or maybe you just need some space all to yourself, whatever that is. We got no idea what 2017 holds, gang. But here's what we rest in. We do know who holds it. The sovereign Lord of heaven and earth holds 2017. And that should be enough for us as a body to say, Lord, I'll relinquish the pen. I'll trust you because you have been faithful 2016. I will trust you 2017. Let's pray together. Jesus, we worship you today. And this turning from one year into the next, so much floods our minds this time of year as we look back. Some in this room have shed more tears in 2016 than they could have ever imagined. And the psalmist says you storm up in a bottle. You're close to those who are brokenhearted. You save those who are crushed in spirit. You have been a companion in the middle of the valley of the shadow of death. And so some come to the tables filled, Lord, filled with layers of grief and heartache and loss that they just simply bring to you and say, Jesus, help. And others come with breakthrough and joy and new beginnings with gratitude overflowing, and they say, hallelujah, hallelujah. And a whole bunch and all the places in between. And we just declare it together as a community. We declare, Lord, that you have been faithful this year. And then at the beginning of 2017, as a church family, we make a covenant to surrender the pen, loosen the grip, relinquish control, say, Jesus, have your way. You write this coming year. You write the chapter as you want to write it. We trust you. And thank you that these elements signed, sealed, and deliver your trustworthiness that you would lay down your life, that we might find life in you. So as we go to the tables, we do so as an act of worship. In Jesus' holy name.